Welcome back to the Chelsea Overseas Podcast, Episode 9. This week, we'll be recapping Chelsea's matches against Crystal Palace and the wonderful win against AC Milan. I'll be previewing the match against Wolverhampton Wanderers and the reverse fixture against Milan. So, let's start off with the Palace game. So, I want to know your thoughts on Chelsea's performance, you know, with uh, Odson Edouard scoring the first goal in the first 10 minutes for Crystal Palace. How well did you think Chelsea played? Yeah, I think I think it was an okay match from Chelsea. Uh, mixed mixed performance. Um, there were things that I guess we'll start with the the negative in it, and I think one of the biggest things in this match was containing Palace's midfield with Eze and Elise in there, who both had pretty good games. I think our midfield struggled. Jorginho Kovacic struggled, especially in defensive transition dealing with Eze and Olize in those transitional moments. And Palace were able to create chances. They were able to get that first goal, as as you mentioned. And they were able to, to be a threat, especially more so in that first half. And there were also moments that Chelsea did allow those transitions to happen from playing out from the back. There was an, an error early on in the game from Wesley Fofana in which a turnover was created and there were a few moments where Chelsea they weren't punished from it but they just switched off on a few set pieces so just def- defensively it was a little bit topsy-turvy in the uh in that first half I think it was definitely better in the second half I think Chelsea had a bit more control in the second half and didn't give up much defensively and stayed quite organized and dealt with that midfield a bit better. And I think you have to give Chelsea a lot of credit with how they dealt with Wilfred Zaha. Obviously, Rhys James kept them quiet on the uh, on the left for Zaha. And then he went over to the right and he was able to be a bit more of a threat. But Chelsea were still able to make sure that he wasn't quite able to create anything that ended up in the back of our net. And... I think that one thing that was really positive about this game was there was a lot of good build-up from Chelsea. I think you're seeing a more fluid build-up, more direct play under Potter, right? A lot of Chelsea's possession under Tuchel was quite, quite. it was more sustained possession and keeping the ball, whereas, and, and a bit more slower tempo, whereas Potter, it, it's a lot more fluid, it looks a lot more direct, more getting in behind the defenses a bit quicker, a bit more movement off the ball in behind the line. And I think there were a lot of good moments of build-up, particularly down the right-hand side with Reese James, as usual. And Kai Havertz, I felt, had a really strong game on that right-hand side. Him and Reese James looked very good down the right-hand side. And there were some good moments of Chelsea getting in behind the defense you know, Sterling getting in behind the back line and running at that back line. And there were chances created from that right-hand side. Ultimately, Chelsea didn't really take enough of those chances, and especially in the second half when they had, I felt, a good amount of control in the game as the second half went on. They just couldn't get the final ball and the final pass in the attacking third. But obviously, Conor Gallagher had something to say about that and got the winner. Yeah, speaking of Conor Gallagher, the formal, the former Crystal Palace loanee, scoring the winner in the 90th minute for Chelsea. Now, how important was it for him to get the Chelsea winner? 
Yeah, really important. I think Connor Gallagher, obviously, he's not getting quite the week in, week out game time that he was getting at Crystal Palace. Obviously, it's a lot harder at Chelsea and he's got more competition. But if he's able to make impacts like these off the bench, and that was a wonderful goal that he scored, bringing that onto his right foot, it's a wonderful first touch to take it past, I believe it was Mateta, and then bring it onto his right foot and he could open his body up and then just bend it into the uh, the far corner. If he can make this sort of impact, then he's going to get his opportunities. And I think he's a player that can develop and be versatile and play different roles and be an influence in different systems under Graham Potter. So it was a big goal for him. Obviously, it's a great little storyline coming back to Sellers Park and getting the goal, but it was a great impact off the bench. And Yeah, talking about more offensive football with Graham Potter, I think Conor Gallagher could definitely make a burst into the team. Maybe not, you know, day in, day out, but definitely more of a bench, like a regular substitute or starting games more often now. But I think the biggest talking point is Kepa, you know, the world's most expensive keeper. You know, Edward Mendy has not started under Graham Potter so far some of it being due to injury, but Edward Mendy should be fit now and he's still um, playing Keppa in these games. Do you think he's the regular starter under Graham Potter or do you think Mendy will slowly ease his way back into the lineup from the injury? Well, I think Mendy will get his opportunities. I don't think Potter's 100% settled on the number one, but I think that that Milan game, because Keppa was starting also in part of because of Mendy's in, injury. Now that Mendy was 100% fit and he could have played against Milan, but Potter went with Kepa. And I do think that Kepa right now looks to be the one Potter's leaning towards as that number one. I don't think he's ready to, ready to call him the number one in the media, but I think in the back of his head, he, he sees Kepa as his number one at the moment. And I think one of the biggest reasons for that is I just think that that Mendy's ability with his feet and his distribution is something maybe Potter's looked at and might prefer Kepa in that sense especially with Potter's system being very keen to play out from the back and build attacks that's something that Kepa can be used for and that might be a reason why Potter might want to lean more towards him. But you have to give credit. Not only, we know Kepa does have that ability, uh, more of that ability than Mendy does, but you have to credit Kepa for the way that he's, his confidence, the way that he's come and claimed crosses, and his shot stopping too. He's been very confident, very composed and calm in goal. And... He's been really, really good. And I think he's had a great week here in both matches. Yeah, I mean, Kepa doesn't get the opportunity to play very often, especially under Thomas Tuchel favoring Edward Mendy. But now that he's playing, he's all fired up, he's confident, and it shows on the pitch with two great stellar performances. Speaking of which, in my opinion, the best Chelsea performance of the year so far against AC Milan. For me, this is the best performance of the year from Chelsea, but I want to know your thoughts and what Chelsea did so well to claim a 3-0 victory. Yeah, it's it's the best performance of the year. It was it was brilliant. It was a complete performance. It was much needed to get 
Chelsea up to four points in the UCL group stage. They're tied with Milan on four points. Chelsea not only have every chance getting out of the group, they have every chance of topping the group now, which is great. So Chelsea are right back in the mix after a little bit of a slow start in the UCL. In terms of what Chelsea did so well, I think one of the biggest things is Chelsea stopped Milan from playing through midfield and stopping those two holding midfielders from starting those Milan attacks and playing through the lines of Chelsea. And Chelsea did this. They went into that 3-4-3. We saw four at the back against Palace and different variations of the four at the back against Palace. We saw more of that 4-2-2-2 and kind of Kai Havertz on the right side have a nice relationship with Reese James. And then they had went into more of a 4-3-3 and then 4-2-3-1 the second half. But here we saw that 3-4-3 and that front three at Chelsea did a lot of good work at closing down the midfield pivot of Milan. And also Loftus-Cheek and, and Kovacic helping out to close down those spaces so that you always had almost like four players pressing up onto those two holding midfielders and stopping them. Whenever they got on the ball, there was a lot of pressure on them. And Chelsea pressed aggressively onto those two holding midfielders. So if you really watch it, Chelsea didn't press high. They actually let Milan have the ball and let them pass it along their back line. But the minute it went into those two holding midfielders, that's where the press was triggered. And then and then Kovacic and Loftus-Cheek did a good job of stopping the number 10 for Milan from getting on the ball. And then because Milan found it difficult to play through midfield, that limited the amount of service Giroud got. And then Leal on that left-hand side, he didn't really want to come deeper to receive it. He didn't really want to drift inside. He wanted to receive it out wide and run at people, run at Reese James, run at Wesley Fafana. But he rarely got the opportunity to do that because he didn't really get much service. He had to come deeper. And then when he did come deeper, then Reese James is pushing right onto him. And Reese James did a great job. So Chelsea defensively, tactically, were spot on. And were focused throughout. They didn't switch off at all. They barely gave away any chances. Kepa barely had anything to do. That's what worked really well. And then, you know, going forward, Chelsea's buildup was really quick. Some of their transitional play was really, really good. Obviously, the wingbacks had had a huge influence, Reese James, particularly on the right-hand side. But the front three also combined well and got in behind the back line well and created a lot of opportunities in transition. Yeah, speaking of standout performances, my player of the match is obviously Reese James. But except for him, you know, I think there's a couple other options that are really you know, candidates for that player of the match position. For me, one of them being Loftus-Cheek. But how good was Reese James really and how important is he for this Chelsea squad? Yeah, so uh, again, Reese James, I agree, man of the match. It, it, he's pretty much a complete player at, at a young age, which is awesome. And it's it's incredible to watch. I mean, you got to say he's the best wing back in the world. Defensively, Dealt with Zaha over the weekend, deals with Leao midweek. That ain't too bad. And then offensively, his distribution and deliveries into the box is just ridiculously good. But the timing of his runs, ability to his ability to run onto the play and arrive into the space 
is wonderful. And then his quality in front of goal. I mean, some some of his finishes, it's just thumping finishes. And so he's got everything, Reese James. This is someone who is going to be a Chelsea legend. I have no doubts about it. And I think, you know, he was great. And, you know, it was obviously a great team performance, but a few others I want to highlight. Thiago Silva marshalling the back line again. It's just makes it look too easy. And um, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, I felt, was brilliant in midfield. The, the midfield hasn't always been great this season so far. And, you know, we even highlighted a few issues against Crystal Palace, but they were really good in this match and spot on. And Ruben Loftus-Cheek, with and without the ball, was very, very good. And then Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, too, had a, had a really strong game in the front three. Yeah, I truly do agree. I think Rich James for me is the best um, right back in the world. In terms of fullback, I will say Jao Cancelo still edges him just a little bit. But Reese James definitely being a very core part of this Chelsea squad. And as you mentioned, he can go down as a Chelsea legend if he continues to play this way. Now, you mentioned Aubameyang, but how impactful was he during this whole week with the Palace game and the Milan game? Yeah, very impactful. I think, you know, one thing I highlighted with Crystal Palace, first of all, it was a really, really nice goal against Crystal Palace. I mean, great to, long ball forward. Thiago Silva wins the header. And then the way Aubameyang just kind of rolls his body and turns and then opens himself up and, and then is able to to hit the ball. I think it was really important in that finish that he was able to hit the ball into the ground. Right, I mean, that made it really difficult for the goalkeeper. He was able to get over it and hit it into the ground, right, rather than getting under, under it, and that made it really difficult for the keeper. So it's a really class and elite finish when you look at it. But I think even against Crystal Palace, he could have even been a bit more involved in our buildup, right? And and he's the sort of player that I think, you know, really can need service, and when he can get service, then he'll show the quality and those sort of elite finishes. But I, I don't necessarily... I think he could have been a bit more involved in the build-up. And I think we saw that against Milan. I think he had a really uh, good impact with his movement in terms of... Uh, you saw him combining a bit more with that front three. Dropping off, having a few touches and combining with Sterling. Combining with Mason Mount in the midfield. And then making the strong runs in behind like he does. And then the instincts in front of goal and the, the the finishing. So I think it was a better performance against Milan all around. And he's definitely had a good week getting off the mark in both the Premier League and the Champions League. He is someone that if Chelsea can get going and Graham Potter can get going, I mean, this is the best finisher in the team. Yeah, class performances from Aubameyang in the past week. And what a week it was for Chelsea, grabbing two wins with the best performance of the season. Now, talking about the game against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Thoughts on Wolves' season so far? Because, you know, they're they're a little bit inconsistent, but what do you think we should expect from them after they sacked uh, Bruno Lage? Yeah, it's been a rough year for, for Wolves. One win out of, out of eight games, only six points. And they're in the relegation zone right now. So it hasn't been a good start from Wolves. Obviously, Bruno Large just got sacked. 
So they're looking at a new manager right now. I've heard that Julian Lopetegui something is someone that they're looking at. Obviously, Sevilla just brought in a new manager, uh, Sampaoli. So now Lopetegui might be the one to replace Larger Wolves. We'll see. But in terms of what I expect from Wolves, I mean, Wolves have been very known for that sort of low block counter-attacking style since they've come into the Premier League both under Nuno Espirito Santo and Bruno Large, because they they have obviously a wonderful back three, Connor Cody leading that, and they're very compact, very difficult to break down. Then they have the speed, the threat and transition, the ability to hit you very quickly on the counterattack, and they have the midfield to to start those transitions. And people like Ruben Neves, Ruben Neves could be playing with all due respect to Wolves for a better team, 100%. Uh, absolutely wonderful, wonderful midfielder. So I don't really expect too much. Like, I don't expect too much to change. I expect them to to, to still sit a bit deeper. They, they haven't brought a new manager in, so I, I don't really expect to see the newer ideas. You probably see them sit a bit deeper and look to play on the counter. They are missing players. Uh, Pedro Neto is needs to have surgery and is going to be out for a bit. Raul Jimenez remains out. So you're looking at maybe Diego Costa, Gonzalo Guedes to start in maybe a front two, but I do expect the deeper defending and counterattacking sort of ideas from Wolves. Yeah, uh, Wolves missing a lot of players, as you mentioned, but they're also missing Huang Hee Chan, who, you know, could really offer that burst of pace, especially with the counterattack for Wolves. So a little bit unfortunate there, but for Chelsea, it is good news. Now, how do we expect Chelsea to set up? Do you think they'll lean more towards a lineup like they did against Palace or against Milan? And how should they contain Ruben Neves in the midfield? So one more thing I want to add before answering that. So... I think Wolves can be a team that does play more on the front foot if they were to get even Julian Lopetegui in because they do have the midfield. Like Ruben Neves, Jean Matinho, Matias Nunes, these are players that that can control possession and, and you could play a bit more of a possession-based game and want to be on the front foot a bit more. So I think Wolves can can evolve. And, and we may, with a new manager, see a more different system. Like I said, though, I think in this match, since they haven't got a new manager in, I don't really expect too much different from what we've seen. But I expect Chelsea to go into that back three. It was great against Milan. And I think especially in a game that you're going to have a lot of possession in and have to break them down, you definitely want those wing backs to to create with and really try to stretch the back line and then try to whip in a lot of good crosses and, and get a bombing service. And you can have that back three. You can have those center backs in, in that back three also getting forward and stepping out the likes of Koulibaly. Fofana's now injured, so whether it's Chalaba, Aspilicueta, stepping out in that back three and also playing a role in in the attack. So... I expect Chelsea to go with more of that back three, for sure. Right. Also mentioning, how do we contain uh, Ruben Neves in the midfield? 
Yeah, so I think Chelsea, it'll be very key to make it very difficult for Wolves to create those transitions, to keep the ball and get Neves, Matinho into space. These are these are players that you don't want to be into space to, to pick out the runs of Costa or Guedes or whoever's up there for Wolves. So definitely for Chelsea, you want them to counter press very quickly when they lose the ball to have the pressure on Neves and the other midfield players from to stop those uh, those attacks from happening and make sure that in their defensive shape to be really well organized to make it very difficult for Neves to find uh, space and have the time to pick out those passes. Yeah, hopefully this will end up as a really good game for Chelsea. I have full confidence in them to walk away here with a win. But now we do have to talk about arguably a more important game against AC Milan, the reverse fixture this time. So from an AC Milan perspective, you know, after kind of getting smacked around by Chelsea 3-0, what do we expect to be different from them about this match? So I think Milan will have to do something a little different. Uh, for sure, they were dominated on Wednesday. I think it could be something in midfield that they switch around. Maybe they go to a bit more of a 4-3-3 potentially. Uh, and I do think maybe Milan could look into midfield to change that shape to try to get Giroud and Leao a lot more involved. Because you really felt like on Wednesday, Leao had to make something out of nothing. To get involved and he did do that one or two times but other than that he really didn't get enough service so I do think Milan probably got to switch up the midfield and and try to get more service into their attacking players yeah Giroud and Leao in the game against um, against Chelsea in the first match, you know, not really getting the service and really just not being able to produce anything. But what did Chelsea now have to do to, you know, make sure they get a similar result like last week? Yeah, I think, you know, you'll ask for more of the same, obviously, but it, it, I'm sure it'll be a little bit of a different game at the San, at the San Siro. And maybe with a, a few changes for AC Milan, but I think for Chelsea, whatever midfield that AC Milan does set up with, you want to really press in those areas like you did on Wednesday, make it very difficult for Milan to play through the lines and get get it into Leao and Giroud. So you want to be very compact without the ball, especially at the San Siro where you'd expect Milan to have more possession also. Definitely without the ball, being very compact and well-organized. We saw Chelsea go into more of a middle block on Wednesday. I think they'll keep that the same and making sure that they're pressing in those midfield areas and, and stopping Milan from, from playing through the lines. And then that gives you transitional opportunities going forwards, especially we saw the problems those wingbacks can, can create in transition both Chilwell and Reese James. By the way, I felt Chilwell had a good game on Wednesday too. And I think both of them are real threats in transition. And then you got the movement runs of the front three. So hopefully Chelsea are able to produce a, a similar result to Wednesday. It's a really important game. Obviously, if Chelsea were to, to win this match, you'd back them to win the group. 
uh, then losing this game could put you in a really difficult position, especially if Salzburg loses, sorry, if Salzburg beats Dinamo Zagreb, because Salzburg are at five points and leading the group. And then if Chelsea gets a draw, everything's sort of still in the balance. But the good thing about getting a draw is you know, because Chelsea will have the tiebreaker with a draw. They'll have the tiebreaker on Milan. So if Chelsea win the two games against Dinamo Zagreb and Salzburg, they're in no matter what. So even a draw would be a decent result here. Yeah, the most important game in the Champions League so far for Chelsea. I do believe that they will at least get a draw here because, you know, these players, they're all fighting for the same thing to get into those knockout stages of the Champions League. And I have full faith in them to be able to get it done. But the biggest talking point for me is the starting 11. Does Graham Potter go for the same starting 11 that he did against Milan? on Wednesday with the back three, or do you think he plays maybe a back four again? Does he play Kepa? Does he play Mendy? What happens there? I'm going to go with the same formation. I do think, like I did think initially when Potter did come in to Chelsea that he might go with a bit more of a back three for now, given our midfield. But I think he's going to go with a back three again here. I think... It'll look something like, I think he'll stick with Kepa on goal for now. I think Koulibaly on the left, Tiago Silva in the center. And then Trevor Chalaba, I think, will play on the right with Fofana injured for about four to six weeks with a sprained knee. Chalaba, by the way, did a good job coming off the bench on Wednesday. In midfield, I think it'll be, I think it'll be Jorginho and N'Golo Kante. N'Golo Kante will finally be back this week, most likely. So I'm really excited for uh, him to play a part in these big Champions League games. So he's an automatic start. I'll go Reese James on the right, and then I'll stick with Ben Chilwell. I think, obviously, Kukurea was injured, so he's back and he's available for selection and on the weekend so we'll see how that goes but Chilwell played well I think he deserves to get another start and then the front three I don't think it'll really change Mason Mount Pierre Mkabamiang and Raheem Sterling yeah, I've gone for a very similar lineup. I have also stuck with Kepa in goal. You know, he's just the more informed keeper for me at the moment. And Graham Potter, as you mentioned, loves to play up from the back. And, you know, Kepa's ability to be on the ball and re- really play the ball out to his defenders and just create attacks is a lot more valuable for Graham Potter. I've gone for the same back three. I've gone for Fafana, not Fafana, sorry, he's injured. I've gone for Koulibaly, I've gone for Thiago Silva, and I've gone for Trevor Chalaba as well. I have Trevor Chalaba matching the side that Leal will be playing on, most probably the left-hand side, so the right-hand side for Chelsea. But, you know, if Leal decides to switch over to the right, then you go, you know, you can switch Chalaba to the left again. And I have, I did not know that N'Golo Conte would be back so that changes up my midfield. I have gone for Kovacic. I've gone for Kovacic and Kante. If he's back, if he's not, just play, play Jorginho. And on the left, I have also stuck with Ben Chilwell. You know, he, he's been he's been great against Milan on Wednesday, and I expect him to stay in the starting lineup for now. 
And on the right, obviously, Reese James. And the front three of Mount, Aubameyang, and Raheem Sterling. Should be a great game, and I expect a lot from this Chelsea squad. Alright, that will do it from us for this week. We'll be back next week to recap the games against Wolves and AC Milan. We'll be previewing the matches against Aston Villa and the midweek match against Brentford. Alright, thank you everyone for listening and let's hope for another good week.